1: top king of college football, it's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports
2: Today. It is hour two on this Tuesday. I'm Chuck Oliver. He was Dave Bartu. If it's a Tuesday, hour one, you know what we do. A couple segments there with Dave Bartu from College Football Matrix. And he is employed, as he said, it can be head coaches looking for other coaches, coordinators, um, off-field help, etc. cetera. Can be an AD looking for a head coach. It can be an agent looking to get somebody hired. It can be a player. I mean, NFL team, especially with quarterbacks, but now even expanding on from there, the numbers all the information's out there. It's fine, and there's there are threads. It's just finding the thread. So, uh, we have Dave on every single Tuesday, bottom of hour one for a couple of segments. Always appreciate his time. Just great stuff there. So coming up in about 15 minutes, Ryan Callahan, good friend of ours. Go Vols 247. Talked about Jerry Mack. He's apparently headed to Jacksonville to coach running backs there. Bottom of the hour, Bill Conley. I've said this before, very high-level thinker. Uh, returning production numbers. Boy, has this F- – returning production on my team? or just amount of receiving, rushing, passing, sacks, tack, whatever yards from last year. They did it at Arizona State. I'm Texas Tech, but they're now with us. So is that returning production? I don't know. When you've got a three-year, like, ETN transferring to Georgia, that's some returning production at running back a Georgia fan may look on that roster and go well with Dejon and Kendallman, we don't have returning production at running back my goodness ETN so Bill Conley he's smart enough to figure out how to code all that to pop out a good predictive model as well so we'll talk to Bill Conley bottom of the hour I had boy I just I hate this I, I don't know i I blurt sometimes, (laughs) just I I hear something and I'll, and it'll be truthful. I don't know if you like it, but it'll be truthful. I had a really underwhelming answer to a plenty provocative question from a Texas fan yesterday. What's everybody going to think when we win the SEC, our first season? And I was just kind of looking in in step. I was like, uh, not much. Um, and what do you mean? Not much. We're going to be new to the big bad SEC. And we win the conference our first season. You, you're not going to think much about that. No, because winning the SEC, while I don't know. It's a, it's a jewel. It's a nice, nice feather. Good patch of real estate. If you are. Ole Miss, South Carolina, Kentucky, et cetera, some programs who have had real, like, chances in some seasons and never got there, all right, that's still a thing to you. If you are an SEC program who's been in the conference the past 31 years when we've had divisions, and you got close, but it never really happened, all right, to you, that would mean something. Or if you're new to the conference, if you've never played for the SEC championship because you've never played in the SEC, that will be big for you. And I mean that legitimately. Beginning in this, folks, all this started in 2011. You know what you've never seen? At least not since, I don't know, January 12. I've never seen it. What you never see is an LSU fan walking around with that 2011 SEC championship hoodie or driving the car with that bumper sticker on it. I mean, it's just not something that you. Th- because of what happened next or actually what didn't happen. The, the playoffs meant that this became a 13-week sprint to get one of those two spots. When you opened it up to four seeds, it gave a little wiggle room to someone who was pretty. Ohio state was pretty one year. Bama was pretty like a program where you don't have to even win your conference to make the playoffs. So we, we started seeing that happen in the first year, like 2011 LSU, they did the business. They went on the road, beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. And then college football said, all right, y'all are going to play twice. <laughs> LSU, You have to beat them in Tuscaloosa and at the neutral site to be national champs. Alabama can lose a game at home as long as later they come back and win. All right, everybody good? All right, go. Same thing to Florida State, 1995. All right, remember what y'all just did? Y'all have to do that again. Huh? So, beginning in 2011 – College football, before the game even happened in the, quote, rematch. College football looked at LSU and said, yeah, what you just did didn't count for as much as it used to. And they're like, this is the SEC championship. And I'm going to tell you, for an SEC fan, this was one little avenue of beauty. Pre-playoffs, pre-BCS, certainly, was you would have five or six teams finished the season feeling like I did just about everything possible. I mean that like five, maybe six teams across America at the end of the season, after the bowls were all over and we were to the offs. it was February. There might be five or six fan bases and teams and coaches and rosters ministrations who looked at their season and said, heck yeah, we're champions. If you were nine and two in the SEC and went to New Orleans as the number nine team in America and you beat number fourteen, folks, we're ten and two in SEC champs. Heck yeah, chest out. You finished number seven. Chest out, I said. If you came out of the old Big Eight and went to the Orange Bowl, and if you're Nebraska and you beat Oklahoma, and you go down to the Orange Bowl and whatever happens, happens. And you finish as big eight champs and we won the Orange Bowl. I promise you folks, anytime Ohio State or Michigan went out to Pasadena and won that game, didn't win the national title, won that game. Ohio State won the national championship in 68 with Rex Kern. They didn't win the national championship again for like a really, really long time, like 30 years. Plus. Ohio State, do you know how many Rose Bowls they won during that time? They were champions that year. Michigan, what was their year, 97, 98, 97. Um Michigan, do you know how many Rose Bowls Michigan? And they would finish 9-3. and three. We won the Big Ten. We won the Rose Bowl. By golly, we're champions. That is not a thing anymore. And so when the Texas fan says, What's everybody going to think when we win our first season in the conference? And I just, not much. Because LSU doesn't think as much about it anymore. Alabama doesn't. Ole Miss would. South Carolina would. Florida might. But Georgia, winning the SEC, Kirby wants to because it's a game. And he don't want to lose a game. But as far as the days of... We got led into the Rose Bowl, and by golly, Michigan State came out a winner today. So even though we finished number 11 in America, this was a giant championship season for us. No, that ain't like it is anymore, bro. That is not college football today. So, again, from a Texas fan, what's everybody going to think? It's uh, Unfortunately, we're going to think the same. And you should feel great about it. Because you're new to this. When I'll say South Carolina at some point, I don't know, there's souls that get sold and like what something happens, like a bunch of things happen. And South Carolina wins the SEC. Okay, paint that on the side of your stadium. When Georgia wins the SEC next, probably not as much. Because that's just not the goal anymore. We won the SEC. It was an odd year. We went 0-4 out of conference, but ran the table in the SEC, won in Atlanta, and then got left out of the – I don't know. We're conference champions. They got to put us in, I guess. Do you know what – hollow SEC champs? Uh Uh-uh. It's not what it's about anymore. If you're of the ilk that Texas is, and it's not your first year in the conference. So that's where you see All right, we're going to take a quick break. Come back, talk a little Tennessee.
1: Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today.
2: Returning production, it do matter. We're going to talk to Bill Conley bottom of the hour, and it is kind of what he does. It's one of his things. Uh, returning production in college football, um, and the if you're thinking in the portal era, it is much harder to predict. Well, once you actually get a, I guess to a predictable point. If we go back a year ago, Florida State was number one in America. Michigan was five, Texas was 19, Washington was 22. Um, so returning production, you know, that's the thread through it. Tennessee, I'd mentioned this last week. Uh, if you look at Tennessee, the returning production, last year I was like, oh, yeah, the O.C., that's uh, hype, it'll be fine. Uh, the quarterback, well, they've got Joe Milton, it'll be fine. Um, it was the receivers that we never even really got around paying them enough attention to, and it is what really changed the approach of that offense. Um, who's coming back? Well, a lot of folks are coming back, and so you think, okay, well, they've got to have a lot of returning production. No. If you look at, for instance, the approach that Hypel uh, has on offense. Uh, It is, these are the guys that we're out here hustling with. All right. Here are our starters, and there's injury, there's fatigue, there's timeouts, there's change of possession, there's whatever. Uh, But it is not one of those offenses where they're going to play seven or eight receivers typically, and everybody's going to register. If you start, then you play a whole lot, and if you look at a projected lineup, a maybe lineup for this fall, it doesn't show a lot of returning uh, production. So, all of this matters, but there's also a whole lot of context there. So we'll get to the bottom of the hour. We're going to talk to Bill Collins from ESPN. But right now, um, Ryan Callahan is going to join us uh, from Govals 247 Want to welcome him on. Ryan, how you doing today, brother? Doing well. How are you? doing okay i was talking about the makeup of this roster and returning production we we'll talk talking Connolly bottom of this hour uh when it comes to tennessee there are a lot of names coming back and so people may think it's returning production but i want to peel back some of the layers of the onion here squirrel white's back among the receivers so is brew mccoy brew mccoy didn't really play last year dante thornton's back dante thornton didn't really play or produce last year matthews is a freshman um walk me through a scenario of the top four or five i'll say pass catchers for tennessee and tell me what we know about him going into this season. Yeah, that's, that's a big
3: key for this team because I think they've got to get better wide receiver play, uh, quite frankly, if they're going to take a step forward and, uh, and be more like the offense we saw back in 2022 with Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt. Uh, I, I think they've uh, obviously it's going to look a little bit similar to last year. Brew McCoy decided to return. You know, obviously, lo- long-term questions about what his offseason would look like coming off that injury. So he's going to come back and try to improve his draft stock. Squirrel White's back. So the new starter in that group will most likely be, I believe, Chris Brazel, the two-lane transfer. Uh, they brought him in after coming off a really productive redshirt freshman season there, 700-plus yards. I think they feel he's, he's going to be a really good player. At the same time, they had some similar thoughts about Dante Thornton last year coming from Oregon. The transfer portal can be tricky. Uh, the wide receiver position in particular, the results can be a little bit hit and miss. So um, that, that's a big challenge for this team. And they've got a couple talented freshmen that could maybe factor into that equation, too and Mike Matthews and Braylon Staley. Yep. Uh, we, ha- we haven't seen freshmen start for, for this staff uh, a whole lot. We'll, we'll see if that changes with those guys, especially Matthews. He'll get a lot of attention as a five-star, but I think Chris Brazel is the guy that will have the, the first shot at, at replacing Ramel Keaton, one of those guys they did lose uh, that, that that had some production last year. Not their leading receiver, but certainly someone they've got to replace. And I think they feel they can get better there with Brazel, but, uh, but obviously remains to be seen until he gets out there and shows he can do it
2: ryan callahan go balls 247 nico wow he looked fabulous and i don't even use that word with football very much but that's a great word for nico um and so now they're i I don't know you're there tell me if this is true or not i've heard conversations that there were folks on the staff or quote around the program that last year like all right this guy's better than joe milton um is that revisionist or was that already conversation last year
3: no, I, I think there were some people who felt that, and I think the key is is it how, how good he was then, or how good he would be in the future? Because I think obviously there were a lot of people in the program and and, and outside the program that thought, long term, sure, if you're playing if you're yeah. playing for down the road, Nico's the guy. Right now, today, is he definitely better than Joe Milton? That's where I think there were some questions, and also I think they had they felt they had to do right. By Nico for his long-term development. If you throw a guy out there too too soon, I think we saw this with Jarrett Garantano several years ago at Tennessee. Sure. he got in there too early, and you get bad experience. It can it can co- cause some bad habits to develop. So. Nico's still a relatively young quarterback, didn't we, One of those guys that was not a four-year starter in high school. So he's, he doesn't have just a ton of experience uh, at the, between the high school and the college level. So I think they wanted to bring him along at the right pace. And, and, and the bowl game was a good time, I think, for him to get in there. He still had a lot to learn. And seeing him at some events in high school, I, I always thought he was still Maybe a little more raw than his than his ranking would have suggested, so I think that was for the best for him, but yeah, there certainly is an argument to be had, and, and there there certainly were some people in the program that had some questions at the time, but there was a lot to that situation and i just don't don't think Tennessee was in a position to you know make a change sooner just because of what Joe Milton meant to that team last year. You didn't want to lose the locker room over something like that, especially with only two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster.
2: Oh, I looked, I was like, uh, I don't know, but Joe Milton's like five or six years older, so I'm going to go with him. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, let's go uh, to the running game because that's what Tennessee does better than just about anybody. Uh, Jerry Mack heading to the league. Um, He's been there since Heupel started at Tennessee, I believe. Uh, How big a loss for the Vols?
3: Yeah, it's a loss. As with most of these deals, though, I think it's just going to depend on who Tennessee replaces him with, And, and, and I'll be honest, the early uh, early talk that we're hearing suggests this will likely be an outside hire, which would be the first time we've seen Josh Heupel go outside the program. If that's the case, for an offensive assistant since he uh, since he made his initial hirings back in 2021, uh, they've, they've promoted internally with Kelsey Pope to wide receivers coach, Alec Ablin to tight ends coach last year. Obviously promoted Joey Halsey from quarterbacks coach to OC last year after Alex Scholish left. So I think there's a, there's a sense though that they they need to get somebody on the outside and that, and that gives them a chance to 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 replace Jerry Mack pretty well and, and potentially even upgrade depending on who they can get. There's some pretty interesting names out there uh, that have been mentioned so far. Uh, so so we'll we'll see where they go with that. But I, I, in the meantime, it's a loss because they were solid and you never know what a new coach might mean. And that group, let's face it, has produced really good numbers the past three years which is why he's gotten that job. You know, guys like Jalen Wright, who's now headed to the NFL Combine, we learned earlier, um, you know, they, they've, they've been pretty, pretty productive at that position despite not really having uh, a lot of big, big names at, at running back. So I think they've, they've done a good job there, and, and you never know how, the, how just getting a different mix of guys might result in some different production there. But I think, I think they feel they'll be a, a okay there and probably able to bring in some pretty good candidates.
2: Wrapping up, Ryan Callahan, go balls two four seven. All right, in very rapid succession, I don't know, week and a half, two weeks ago, it was NCAA sniffing around Rocky Top. The administration says haven't seen a notice, allegations. The state says ah, we're going to sue them. Uh, where do we? That was a momentous headline we got. Uh, Virginia doing the same thing. Where do we sit now with Tennessee and the NCAA and their legal spat? Because there's been multiple filings.
3: Yeah, and, and today was actually a, a key date. They actually had the had, had had really their first court date, a, a preliminary injunction hearing uh, in Greenville, Tennessee, in the Eastern District of Tennessee uh, U.S. District Court, and uh, and that no ruling on that one just yet. But Tennessee, uh, the states of Tennessee and Virginia, seeking a preliminary injunction to essentially halt the N.C.A. from uh, enforcing its NIO rules in, in regard to recruiting, uh, and that uh, no ruling has been made yet. But the judge did indicate this morning that uh, he would hope he hoped to have a ruling in short order. So whether that means you know tomorrow, later this week, or or next week, we'll we'll see. But I would imagine you know sometime in the in the coming days we will hear something on that. Probably not today, uh, but but yeah, that, there's at least some optimism Tennessee could get that. I'm not sure they have to get that to prevent the NCA from coming forward with a, with a notice of allegations, but if they do get that, uh, that preliminary injunction, uh, that would almost certainly prevent the NCA from coming forward with any notice of allegations against Tennessee. So that's potentially a big step, and then we'll see where it goes from there if they were not to get uh, that preliminary injunction. This could obviously be something that plays out over months with, uh, with the courts involved and obviously don't know what the NCA's next step might be in a situation like this
2: all right folks ryan callahan covers the vols for 247 if you're a vols fan or a fan of a team that plays them go read this man last thing for you uh because it's what we do in 2024 the coach leaves you got 30 days are the vols going to go shopping in ann arbor or downtown boston Uh, you know i I don't know uh
3: i don't know about that but i I think they will uh again i think for, for running backs coach they'll have a They'll have some some good candidates. One, you know, couple couple names uh, that I've heard so far: uh, Carlos Lachlan, a running backs coach at, at Oregon, uh, could be a candidate there. Yeah. Anthony Jones at TCU. So some pretty good names like that. Uh, not necessarily from those places, but uh, interesting. You mentioned that though, because Michigan. Uh, that's the other thing we're kind of keeping an eye on. Brian John marie Tennessee's linebackers coach, potentially in play at Michigan as they look for uh, a linebackers coach. So uh, we'll see what happens there. That's at least an interesting one where Michigan's apparently throwing around some money, trying to bring in a pretty good staff there to to surround uh, Sharon Moore with uh, with all he can have and uh, and give him a chance to succeed. So that's at least something we're keeping an eye on over the
2: next couple of days. Night, good man, Ryan. I appreciate the expertise as always, brother. Absolutely, thanks a lot. Ryan Callahan go balls two four seven so all kinds of coaches and players of course because when there's a coaching change when the head coach leaves this is one thing that got barked about for decades decades literally it was why can't I uh, coach leave anytime I'm sit out and so if you'd already played like three or four games in a season and decided to transfer you obviously had to sit out the rest of that season and then next season (laughs) as well they finally changed that and blake barnett do you remember it was if you transfer by i think it was by september 30th um then you can enroll and so he left alabama and was that was at arizona state before he wound up at south florida uh so one of the three school ogs but that was one of the ideas earlier, um, was that it was two full years, and so they've made the change now, and so they get 30 days. When the coach leaves, the players get 30 days to hop around as well.
0: Now back to Southern Spring. Spring is here, and baseball is back. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com.
1: Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show.
2: Nevermore of a moving target. Anything. In the predictable realm, when it comes to college football, it has never been more of a fluid, moment-to-moment thing. Uh, when we talk about returning production, for instance, for the coming season, it's February 13th, week zero is, I don't know, which, by the way, not a very attractive week zero so far, but week zero, week months and months and months down here, we have spring practice, we have a spring portal period, but as it exists now, um, returning production, folks, that is the thread that runs through so much of this especially when you want to drill down about returning starts on the offensive line etc uh quarterback what i don't know is is it returning production here with me with these other people because like i said georgia gets i don't know trevor etn comes in well that's a returning starter that's returning production but not in athens uh, I've told you, folks, uh, of all the guests we have on, very high-level thinker, and I always love reading the stuff at ESPN.com. I want to welcome back Bill Conley, Bill? How you doing on this Tuesday?
0: I'm very good. How about you?
2: Oh, nothing but blessed. Uh, let's talk about returning production. And first of all, just answer a procedural matter: um, Is it returning <laughs> production here? Because I, I do believe there is value, especially with quarterback, O-line, and secondary, too. We've played with each other, but tell me what you mm-hmm. do. What numbers do you crunch?
0: Yeah, the the um, it, it's this doesn't yeah it doesn't really fit the definition of, of quote unquote returning production but yeah basically you know ATN's production is now Georgia's production it, it just kind of gets crammed into the equation so to speak and that that has worked better than any other uh, approach I've seen so basically like if you if you lose your starting quarterback but you add a transfer uh, who had similar yardage then it's like you return 50 percent of your yardage from last year because you know you lost one but got the other so it's it's not uh, the most mathematically complicated and sounds scientific whatever but it's it does pretty well
2: and i was mentioning uh earlier before you came on um how well it did last year uh the thread that ran through the playoff teams uh alabama's an outlier we'll get to them and florida state um Talk about Alabama now, because they were the outlier. They didn't have the returning production. Basically, Mick Saban said in May, I don't have a quarterback there in the playoffs. Um, Just give me your download about Saban and that staff and those players last year. How'd that happen?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I I was pretty big in the camp of Florida State to get that spot. So, um, you know, and then I would have nailed the returning production aspect because all four of the playoff teams would have been on my uh, most likely to improve list. But, uh, no, I mean, Alabama, obviously, I mean, they they just skated by early on. They suffered the loss. They um, clearly just didn't know what they wanted or could be offensively, and and it almost cost them massively against USF. They had all these other close games, but they just kept surviving, and, and it's Kind of a survive and advance thing. They just kept getting you know closer and closer without uh, tripping up that second time. And you know, however it was that they managed to get that last spot in the uh, in the in that top four, they got it. And and um, it, it was kind of a perseverance tale. It was it was certainly not the normal Alabama run to a playoff. But um, yeah, now now they lose a lot. They do have the quarterback back, but they lose a lot. All the turnover. You know that whole replacing the greatest coach of all time thing. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but it is kind of an interesting they weren't as good they fell off a little bit and now they have a lot of interesting pieces to replace it's going to be interesting there
2: well, let's go to the other outlier then, because not only was Texas a top 20 team as far as returning production entering last season, they also made the playoffs and they have a pile of experience coming back this year. This is like an old school football power who year to year you would. We used to look at Nebraska or whomever and go, "Yep, yeah, just a reload year. Uh, talk about Sark situation right now in February ahead of the 24th season.
0: Yeah, I mean to uh, have won as much as they did last year, to have made the playoff, and then to return your quarterback—that um, alone is is kind of makes them unique. They return a good portion of their defense as well. They they did a good job, I thought, of you know adding to the the linebacking core, but especially it was the receiving core that that's kind of the got the most turnover. But they've added, what, one, two, three receivers and a tight end. Um, so basically they took that biggest weakness or the biggest question mark, and from a returning production standpoint, they went and stared a lot of everybody else's production. And, and so that's not a, a weakness anymore. It's, they've done a nice – Sark's done a really good job of, of that, that kind of year-to-year continuity. It's really hard to rank relatively high two years in a row in this because, you, you know, in theory, if you return a ton of production, that means it's pretty old production and they're going to leave the next year. Texas has managed to figure out a nice balancing act, and they should hit the ground running in the, in the SEC because of it.
2: couple of more minutes. Bill Conley, ESPN.com, continuing on Chuck Oliver's show. Nine states and sixty six folks. I appreciate everybody making that possible. Let's start Virginia Tech because I had about a decade and a half where it was a legitimate conversation in August. All right, who might win the national championship? And at some point, you got around to Virginia Tech. That was a real thing. That is not mm. a real thing, and it's been a minute. Um, but I tell you what, they cracked the code for returning production, apparently. Uh, talk about what may happen in 24 for the Hokies.
0: Yeah, it was kind of, you know, Grant Wells, their their quarterback gets hurt, uh, so they bring in Kieran Drones, and they find an offensive identity in the process, and and so now, you know, Drones is back, Tootin, the running back is back, most of the receivers are back, including a couple who were hurt last year, uh, and should have been even more productive, their offensive line's back, uh, it really is, for all the turnover and the transfers and everything we're getting used to, they have a couple transfers coming in, but it's kind of uh, the old model of, of uh, roster building, and they, they were young for a couple of years, they were young and thin uh, now they're experienced in semi-deep and i don't know i don't know what that means i assume that just kind of means they're kind of, they're going to be a borderline top 25 or 30 team not like you know they're not suddenly a national title contender or anything but after a couple of years of struggle and after falling off the map really uh for a few years not just a couple that's like this could be a pretty good team it was a good team the second half of last season and they returned pretty much all the reasons why they were a good team the second half of the season
2: Uh, On the other end of that, and actually I'll say on the other side of the ball, because a lot of the returning talent on defense, Northwestern. And if you would have set me in front of the betting window with a Franklin in my hand before their week one game, I would have (laughs) said this season is underwater. They have no chance. Not only did they have a good season, but they got everybody coming back. Yeah, no, this um,
0: and they started looking pretty poorly like you would have expected, too. I, I, this sneaked up on me a little bit. You, you start off losing, getting blown out by Rutgers, blown out by Duke, blown out by, well, Penn State. That wasn't all that much of a surprise, barely beating Howard. Um, and then you win your final four games of the year, beat Utah, beat Wisconsin. Um, it was a massive turnaround, and I didn't even, I mean, I kind of see all the results as they're happening, but I, I still didn't really put two and two together like, wait, they're going to make a bowl game this year. Yeah. Uh, until the very end. So it was It was a wonderful coaching job. And, you know, when you're off the radar, it is a little different. Now they have some semblance of expectations. But, yeah, they, they return pretty much all the reasons for the good defense they had last year. Offense is going to have to figure things out. It still wasn't very good. It hasn't been good in a very long time. But, yeah, they they were supposed to be underwater, and they weren't. And uh, at the very least, they're going to be a – even though the Big Ten West isn't a thing anymore, they're going to be an extremely Big Ten West team next year with that defense.
2: All right, give me a team that may be a little bit of a curveball because I guess Cade Klubnick is back with Clemson. But honestly, I don't know if he's going to be the quarterback. So there's returning production. But um, tell me, I am am so intrigued. There's like a handful of programs. I'm like, my gosh, where does it go from here? Uh, Give me your insight into Dabo and the Tigers.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat. I feel like, you know, I think Florida State, when my SP Plus projections come out tomorrow, I'm pretty sure they're going to be the number one team in the ACC. But for me, I think I trust Clemson the most just because of what they bring back, just because, I mean, they're going to be pretty rec- – Florida State obviously has a ton to replace and, and some pretty good pieces for replacing it. Uh, but Clemson, we kind of know what they have to offer, assuming uh, nick is the quarterback. Yeah. We'll see. Um, but it, it is – I'm just curious. They don't seem to have the same ceiling as they used to. They're still obviously a very good team. Um, you know, when you're disappointed and you're winning 10, 11, nine games, you're still winning to the ACC every other year. It's pretty good. Uh, pretty good life you've set up for yourself. Uh, but I do wonder about that upside. Even you know, on defense, where um, you know they they have to replace quite a few defensive uh, star, you know, defensive linemen from last year. That's going to be pretty tricky. Obviously, they recruit well up front, but I'm kind of with you. I feel like I trust them enough to put them number one in the ACC, but I don't think they're a top 10 team anymore and, and I'm curious if they can get back to that spot
2: last team in a small alma mater. and I gotta tell you I see there are players they have white helmets and blue jerseys I see the flowers in the corner near the play clocks and so I was like alright that's Auburn and it's Jordan hair it ain't Auburn and Jordan hair right now um, give me your <laughs> download of that program and where they sit because again an Auburn fan had like 40 years of hey we're really really good and now they're in sort of an extended period of they're, they're uncertain yeah, last four years, I'm looking at my,
0: my SP Plus rankings. last four years, they've basically been about the number 35 program. Uh, capable, athletic enough to do damage, but they're probably going to go about 500 every year. Yeah. Um, it, it's hard to... Uh, I mean you you can you see a, a lot of the guys who kind of struggled last year they they are scheduled to return they were pretty young they got to figure out the quarterback situation I thought they probably could have done better in the portal than Sam Jackson although he does have a lot of potential uh he I mean he he flashed that potential before getting hurt last year uh but yeah it's 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 hard to see the, the, the transfers they added as any significant uh upgrades beyond maybe making them a top thirty team. Now, obviously they signed a great recruiting class too, and if you start getting that the, you know, that cycle going and everything, maybe they can be back to a kind of a top fifteen level within a couple of years. And Hugh Freeze is a solid coach for all of his flaws and whatnot, but it is uh it's hard to think that this is the year that they that they surge forward.
2: But an Auburn fan. Oh, Bill Conley, what's he know? Uh, he knows a lot. So <laughs> sorry. Bill, I appreciate you coming on today, friend. Thank you so much. Absolutely take care. ESPN.com. It's Bill Conley. Returning productions. Uh his his first as he said, at first SB plus numbers are uh, out as well. So this is just what he does, and it's efficiency ratings. And it's in fact I remember he was the first guy I heard really writing about efficiency ratings, and I understood everything that he was talking about. Um, so it's just, and when he talks about Auburn, again, they're always outliers because when you have 133, I think it is now, 133 of anything, there are going to be some that don't fit. You know what? Auburn has returning production at quarterback, for instance, like uh, like almost all of it. But what does that what does that tell you about their quarterback situation? I bet you, if you look at—I don't know how much Gunner Stockton, I don't know how much Brock Vandegrift, I don't, whoever played behind Carson Beck—I bet it wasn't a whole lot more than maybe Robbie Ashford. And so you may have percentage of returning passing yards and passing touchdowns and whatever. Auburn and Georgia may look the same from a percentage standpoint. Auburn and Georgia do not look the same at quarterback. I can promise you, but from the returning production standpoint, if you have 96% of your passing yards returning, well, believe me, that is a positive There No way around that. It's not a positive Tennessee. On the other hand, I don't know, Nico, he played a little tiny amount and there were these same stories. I mentioned this last week. We were talking about Nico about like two at Alabama. I was like, oh, man, I think he's better. I heard that last year. I was like, I think Nico's better. Well, play him then. You couldn't. And I was being like, kind of snappy. We'll play him if you think that. Joe Milton was already looking at AARP stuff compared to Nico. So, at quarterback in a ferociously competitive environment like this, yeah, I'll go with the old man. So, we, we, we all get there as far as returning production. And we look and say, all right, well, this number is 97%, or with Tennessee, you look at Nico, I don't know, what is this, 4%, 9%, 12% of passing yards? 12% of passing yards returning, let's say. That's a guess. Uh I believe, will be in way better position at that spot for the 2024 season than they were despite everything that Joe Milton could do. Throw, run, lead, whatever. Nico is a transformative looking quarterback um whereas with joe milton we honestly we rarely got past manning throw the ball a long way so that's that's where we sit that's where we sit and i appreciate bill coming on all right uh we take a break and come back my gosh got to wrap it up it's on a tuesday and we'll finish next
1: Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. You can go 11-0 and, and lose the last game
3: or get all the way down to the wire and, and come up short, and um, and that's not good enough. And so, again, it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to actually live it. And I think the guys in the building get it. But, you know, we're not, you know, sitting here talking about, you know, catchy slogans or anything like that. We're just going to work
2: right now. You know, it's a long run. Ronda! And he's talking about what's expected at Ohio State. Now, funny, because I had brought up yesterday, we were talking about the Buckeyes, and I had brought up, uh, does he want to kind of pump the brakes? And we had on a guest from Letterman Row, and he's like, no, actually, he's kind of embracing it. And it was sort of a, over the last, I'll say two months, because... Lose to Michigan. Don't make the conference championship game. You're not going to the playoffs, you knew, at that point, uh, unless there was a really strange confluence of just all sorts of events. And so, you, and then the Cotton Bowl. I think just showing up, like they say, it ain't the helmets or the jerseys, it's the players inside them. No, I think the first half of the Cotton Bowl, the Ohio State uniform was enough. And then Missouri was like, no, 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 wait a minute. It really is the guys inside. Okay. And tonight, against who's wearing we might be and so they came back and beat him so they were like "Eh, 11 and 0 this is the end of the season Uh, from that moment man headline after headline after headline headline bill o'brien headline chip kelly like the one little that i looked at ryan day didn't look at it that way the one dip i was like really bill o'brien And then I paused, and I had mentioned this. I brought it up yesterday. I was like, well, I guess with Bill O'Brien is that we're going to run the ball. Well, with Chip Kelly, they'll run the ball as well. But with Bill O'Brien, when he was hired and he was the OC, I thought I wouldn't have done this. I'm Ryan Day. I can hire anybody I want. Well, I guess he has a purpose. I guess he's deciding, if nothing else, if the world stops spinning on its axis, we will run the ball like Ohio State again, which may be part of the reason we couldn't throw the ball like Ohio State. So, that's maybe what he was thinking. Realizing conference play last year, they scored almost 100 points fewer than Michigan? Like, it's not supposed to be that way. It was. So, he's like, we got to go giddy up. And I think that starts with a run. Well, now it starts with a run. But, like, anything you've ever seen with Bill O'Brien, and he's a good coach. Don't get me wrong. I don't want him as my head coach. Um, but... When I say he's a good coach, there's a profile of you kind of have an idea what you're going to get. Dave Bartu didn't like it much at all, but there was a profile. With Chip Kelly, it's sort of the same, I guess, outcome. Way different. Think quack attack. Think that thing at Oregon and what he tried and was able to replicate at least one season a little bit. Not the breakneck pace. Nobody really goes like that anymore. But the approach, he was able to get it done at UCLA a little some, and for one season, but um, more than that maybe. But just the consistency, and he's like, yeah, I got money. Or it did, or he never thought about it because he has money. Uh, he doesn't have to be a head coach anymore. I think he just wants to coach with someone he loves and doesn't have to worry about everything that Ryan Day does now. Yes, this is my guy. I can just stand here with my play sheet. He'll do everything else, like going in front of the cameras and going, "We're Ohio State. We got bigger expectations than you." Which is kind of what Ryan Day just said, and the thing is, he's right. Heath, what's up, man?
1: Well, this is something you had alluded to earlier, Chuck, but it is uh, now looking like it's coming down the pike. You got uh, Kalen DeBoer um, expected to promote from within for the offensive coordinator job. Nick Sheridan going to be named the new coordinator for the Tide, according to the Tuscaloosa News. As Nick mm-hmm. Kelly. Uh, no word on that offensive line coach, which you and Bartu talked about. That would be the more difficult role to fill. There were a couple of guys on staff that the perception was, unless they went and grabbed a Kirby Moore from from Missouri, that this is probably how it would go. But again, it, it looks like that's exactly what's going to happen. Nick Sheridan moving on into the OC role. We'll see what they do about the O-line spot. Uh, also, Chuck, just a couple of other quick nuggets here. Um, it's interesting to me. You mentioned Northwestern there talking with uh, Bill. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald's attorney is yeah. pushing for a trial date of December for his sur- suit against Northwestern for wrongful termination. Yeah, he just vanished. I mean, that's the thing. It's so wild. Yo, college football, There's just it, it never stops, which is why we're here 52 weeks a year. There's just always another big story. And so things just sort of burst onto the scene. And then if there's no oxygen given to the fire, they just kind of vanish Pat Fitzgerald still hasn't talked because he's got this legal case. He's never done that sympathetic interview where you know, Tom Rinaldi or somebody nods while he explains how this or this isn't nearly no, as bad Bobby as people. No, Bobby Petrino
2: got to cry into the camera.
1: Yeah, I mean, our brows did one. You know, we're we're still waiting. It's been now roughly about seven, eight months and we still have not gotten the even start of an explanation from pat fitzgerald on on how this happened what this was or wasn't in his perception and now he's he's pushing for december chuck by the time that he actually finally talks on this thing it could be it could be another presidential administration for pete's sake. that's just kind of wild
2: and he said if you saw the story his attorney said that it would be a third season without him coaching Mm, it may be a lot longer than that. I mean, I, Pat Fitzgerald, there are so many people that will just go to the wall for that guy. This got to the unsavory category. Like, I, I mean, I'm thinking of Pat Fitzgerald being around for all the positives, uh, being around my college program right now. And it's just not something that I, you know what? I hope he gets another chance. It will be with someone else.
1: Yeah, that, that is particularly disingenuous, too, because you know as well as I do, if Pat Fitzgerald wanted I'm to be a out. linebacker's coach in the NFL or something just to be active and yep. and pulling in six figures, of course he could. Pat, Fitzgerald, Pat Fitzgerald's made tons of money. Uh, he's doing fine financially. So... If he says it's head coach or nothing, then I'm with you. He's probably going to be waiting around for a while, especially since there's not a Saban rehab program for him to enroll in for a year or two to try and begin knocking the rust off. Uh, but I, I just thought that was wild, though, that we may not hear Pat Fitzgerald's version of that story in the entire calendar year 24 either if they don't hurry up and
2: get it in at December. Chuck Gallardo Show. Wraps up on this Tuesday. Appreciate David on the ones and twos. Heath, Rolodex to the stars. March by tomorrow. We'll be hearing from him, close personal friend of mine. Uh, and me. So I thank y'all for your two hours. Give me 22 to recharge the batteries. And I promise we will be back right here tomorrow with a lot more college football fun. Everybody here on Chuck Oliver Show.
0: like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.
1: The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1, smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olson.